Our scripture reading this evening comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 32, if you want to be opening your Bibles there. Numbers chapter 32, we're going to read verses 20 through 23. To set the context, Moses and the Israelites were about to go to war, or excuse me, uh, yeah, Moses and the Israelites were about to go to war, and Moses was warning the people that dwelt on the east side of the Jordan River that they needed to come and to join their brethren. In Numbers chapter 32, verse 20, the scripture reads, Then Moses said to them, If you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for the war, and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. The work of a gospel preacher is twofold. A preacher is to comfort the afflicted because that's what the gospel does. The gospel brings comfort to those who are hurting, those who are in sorrow, those who are struggling. And gospel preachers are to preach comfort to those who are afflicted. But the other side of a gospel preacher's work is to afflict the comfortable. When you read the Old Testament prophets, people who were living in comfort and ease received blistering rebukes from men of God because they were unrighteous, because they were not giving proper attention to their sin. And so as a gospel preacher, there has to be balance in what we do. Comforting the afflicted, that's essential, but afflicting the comfortable, that's necessary as well. Tonight I want to spend some time talking about secret sin. What I mean by secret sin is this. In everyone's life, there are things that we do that we know are wrong. We do those things repeatedly. We become comfortable with them. And it comes to a, a point where those sins become habitual. They're habits that we form. Secret sin can be a lot of different things. Secret sin, a lot of people immediately think of lust and, and reflecting on other people that we don't have a right to be with. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew 5, 28 and 29. And maybe nobody else knows that we're thinking about those things. It's a secret sin, but it's a habit that we have. Other kinds of secret sin might be holding a grudge, holding on to anger against somebody and refusing to forgive them. They did something to hurt us or they did something to hurt somebody we love and we're not gonna let go of that. And maybe we think nobody knows. Maybe we think that nobody knows that's how we feel, but that's a sin we harbor. Maybe our secret sin is the sin of worry and anxiety. Jesus said, don't do it. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, that worry does not profit us anything that we ought to put our trust in God. But maybe your secret sin is worry. Maybe your secret sin is laziness. The Bible tells the sluggard to go to the ant and learn from her ways and be wise in the book of Proverbs. And maybe sloth and laziness, not doing what we know needs to be done in a timely manner, Maybe that's our secret sin. Whatever it is, 
Every one of us struggles at times with secret sin. Pride can be a secret sin. Secretly wanting people to pat us on the back. Secretly wishing people would recognize us for what we're achieving and what we're accomplishing. That can be a secret sin. I want to talk to you tonight about secret sin and what the scripture has to say. In Numbers chapter 32 verse 23, the passage we just read, Moses didn't intend what we're going to use this verse to do. Moses said, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. And what that means in the context is, if the people of Reuben and Gad would not go to war, ultimately that sin was going to catch up with them. They were going to bear the consequences of that sin. But the way it's worded in English is appropriate for this subject as well. Even though Moses didn't intend it this way, you and I need to hear that message. If we persist in secret sin, we may think that nobody knows, we may think that nobody will ever find out, but that's not true. The Bible says your sin will find you out. Another passage, Deuteronomy 27 verse 15. As the Israelites were getting ready to go into the land of promise, Moses was reading them the law of blessings and cursings. And here's what he says about people who practice secret sin. He said, cursed is the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. You see, God knew that those Israelites, they were going to welcome idolatry into their lives. And he said, cursed be the people who make idols and make little shrines to those idols and put them in secret places in their house. And they go on as if they're faithful to the Lord and you don't know anything different, but there's something secret in their house that they think nobody else knows about. Cursed be people who practice secret sin. Another passage, Proverbs 28, 13. The writer says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. There's something about sin that we don't want people to know about. Jesus put it this way. He said, the darkness hates the light. And when we're practicing what we know is wrong and we're, we feel guilty about it, we don't want it ever to come to light. But the Proverbs writer says, no, if you cover your transgression, if you conceal them, you're not going to prosper. It's confession and forsaking those transgressions that finds mercy. One more passage. Mark chapter 4 verse 22. Jesus says, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Even Jesus talked about secret sin that people practice. What are the secret sins in your life? The things that you do and you don't think anybody else knows that you're doing them. God sees, God knows, and God is speaking to you through his word this evening about that sin and what to do with it. When you think about secret sin, there are some famous secret sinners in the Bible. Achan, for example. In Joshua chapter 6, when the people of Israel conquered Jericho, God said, do not take any of the treasure of Jericho. But Achan looked at some vessels of gold and silver. And Achan said to himself, nobody will know. 
If I take some of the treasure, nobody will ever find out. And he stored it in his tent. And Israel lost a battle because of Achan's sin in Joshua 7. Nobody knew what Achan had done until the entire congregation of Israel was suffering the consequences. That's the way it is with secret sin. You think that nobody knows and you think that it won't have an effect on other people, but that's just not the way sin is. It is like a cancer, like a gangrene. It grows and it spreads and it has terrible impacts on those around us, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not. You think about David, when he sinned with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, David, the king, tried to cover it up. First, he tried to cover it up by lying about it and by making it look like Uriah was the father of Bathsheba's child. And then when that didn't work, David tried to cover up his sin by having Uriah murdered. Secret sin. It wasn't until a prophet named Nathan confronted David that he finally came clean with God. You think about Judas. Judas was the treasurer of the apostles. Everybody trusted Judas. In fact, it's been said, nobody would ever have believed that Judas was the one who would betray Jesus. If you put all the apostles and, and made them rank, who's most likely to betray the Lord? Write it on a sheet of paper, one to 12. Judas would have been last in everybody's book. But the Bible tells us that Judas was guilty of secret sin. He used to pilfer from the treasury. John chapter 12, verses four through six. And Judas was the one, partially motivated by greed, who sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Secret sin. We think nobody knows. Maybe we think it won't have consequences. We need to deal with the sin that's in our lives. That's God's will for us. Three truths about secret sin tonight. And I want you to listen up. I want you to think about these truths because they're going to make a difference in all of our lives as we examine ourselves and ask, Master, is it I? Am I guilty of secret sin? In the first place, I want you to know about secret sin that when there is something that we're trying to cover, there's something that we're trying to hide, we know it's wrong, we, we, we believe it's wrong, but we're doing it anyway. Secret sins always, always, always depend on excuses. They need excuses to exist. Excuses are what help secret sins to hide. And the excuses might sound something like this. I can control it. I know it's wrong, but I can stop anytime I want to. I know I'm guilty, but I'm in control here and, and this is not a problem. We lie to ourselves. We lie to God when we think that we can control sin. Sin, when we practice it, gains control over us. Jesus said that people who practice sin are slaves to sin in John chapter eight, not the other way around. Don't lie to yourself. Listen to God's word. Another excuse. My sin is not that bad. I mean, it's not like I'm, it's not like I'm sleeping with somebody else's spouse. It's not like I'm murdering anybody. It's not like I'm causing all kinds of pain and grief and heartache in somebody else's life. It's really not that bad. You may think that's true, but here's the nature of sin. It's like a fish hook. 
when a fish swims by and it sees the bait, the fish is not thinking about the long-term consequences of its actions. The fish is only thinking, it's time for a meal. And the fish takes a bite of what it thinks is going to be a meal and it turns out to be his last meal. When we think that our sin is not that bad, we need to look very carefully at what the Bible speaks about concerning the effects of sin. In like manner, some people excuse their sin by saying, well, I've been practicing this secret sin for quite a while. There have not been any consequences. No one has caught me in the act. No one seems to be the wiser. No one seems to be aware of what I'm doing and what I'm practicing. So, therefore, everything seems okay. Just because you've not experienced what you believe are consequences does not mean that you won't. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, the Bible says, Take heed, beware. The Bible says, As a man sows, that shall he also reap. We need to remember there are consequences to sin, always. Some people excuse their secret sin by rationalizing this way. I deserve some happiness. I deserve to have a little fun. After all, look at all that I do and look at all that I have to put up with in my life. Look at all the stresses on me. I deserve a little joy. I deserve a little bit of happiness. The Bible speaks about joy that endures. The Bible speaks about joy that can abide regardless of our circumstances. But it is not provided by sin. There is pleasure in sin for a season. You know, sometimes we give people the impression that sin is always ugly and that it never has any fun involved, never any joy involved. But no, the Bible teaches sin can be a lot of fun. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. There is pleasure in sin for a season. But there are consequences. Some people excuse their sin by saying, well, somebody else is bringing me to this. You just don't know how mad that person makes me. You just don't know what kind of stress I have to put up with. You just don't know the kind of influence that someone else has over me. The consequences in my life of other people's choices, the influences they're having, someone else is making me do this. A rationalization people use. The Bible indicates, as we spoke about this morning, that when we stand before God on the day of judgment, yes, people do influence us for good or evil. And yes, there is something to be said for the kind of influence that we're having on others. But ultimately, each one shall bear his own load. Each one shall stand and give an account of himself to God, not someone else. And then this. I need this. I know it's wrong. I know it's not what God wants me to do. I know that I need to change, but this helps me. This helps me to deal with pain in my life. This helps me to deal with stress. This helps me to deal with difficulty. I know it's wrong, but I need it. The Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. Don't give yourself to sin because sin can never in a million years provide what God promises to provide if we'll lean on him and put our trust in him. 
Secret sin always, always, always depends on excuses. What are the rationalizations that you're using to prop up, to keep hidden the sin in your life? Second statement about secret sin tonight. Secret sins are always costly. It has been said that sin always takes you farther than you wanted to go. It always keeps you longer than you intended to stay. And sin is deadly. It always hurts you far worse than you ever could have imagined. That's the nature of sin. We may think it's something we can play around with, that we can toy with, that it's really not going to have that big of an effect on us. But listen to the teaching of Scripture. It's always costly. It always hurts you. It's devastating. Why is secret sin costly? In the first place, it requires other sins to perpetuate it. When I'm doing something that I know is wrong and I feel guilty about it, I'm going to need other sins to kind of prop up the thing that I'm doing. Specifically, lying is one of those. In Ephesians 5 verse 25, the Bible commands us to put away lying. Do not lie to one another. Speak the truth to each other. If we find ourselves lying, that is almost always a sure sign that we're trying to cover up something that we believe is wrong. Something that we believe is sinful in our lives. That's what lies do. Lies cover up something that we know is wrong, that we know is not what God intends. That's what David did in 2 Samuel 11. He tried to lie. No, it's Uriah's baby, not mine. And then when that didn't work, he had Uriah murdered, as we've said. So when lying didn't work, then David went to another resort, murder. Secret sins, they multiply. They multiply the need for other sins in order to keep the secret sin hidden. You find yourself lying to somebody. You find yourself twisting the truth a little bit. You find yourself making disclaimers in your speech. You say things like, well, I don't usually go to this place, but I don't usually watch programs like this, but we need to tune into those kinds of statements if they're coming from our lips. They may well say something about a secret sin that exists in our lives. Why are there consequences? Why, are there, why is it costly to engage in secret sin? Because secondly, they undermine our relationships. They undermine our relationships with others. In Genesis 37 verse 4, the Bible speaks about Joseph's brothers and it says that they could not speak peaceably to him. They resented Joseph. They hated Joseph. They had malice toward Joseph. And it might have been secret for a while, especially when they were at family dinners, when, Joseph, when Jacob was there at the table and all the sons were eating. Maybe they just kind of cut their eyes at each other and they thought that maybe Jacob didn't know. But when they got out in the open and it was just the brothers and Joseph, they really let Joseph know in no uncertain terms how much they despised him. You know, sometimes people talk about secret sins and they say, well, you know, the only person who's really being hurt is me. That is not true. I can promise you, based on the teaching of Scripture, that even though you think no one knows, and maybe they don't, 
that the sin that you're practicing in your life, it has an effect on your attitude, it has an effect on your heart, it has an effect on your lifestyle, the way you treat your family, the way you treat the people around you, that is directed and controlled by the sin that is in control of you. It always undermines relationships. Healthy, happy homes are not built when we continually practice secret sin. Congregations are not built stronger when there's somebody that intends and insists on practicing secret sin. It undermines our relationships, even if that's not what we want. It's just what sin does. Third, sins are always costly because we reap what we sow. Hosea chapter 8 verse 7. The prophet was afflicting the comfortable when he said, you will sow to the wind and you will reap the whirlwind. You think about going down to the hardware store and buying a little packet of seeds. You can buy one for just a little bit of money and you can plant those seeds. They're teeny tiny, don't cost very much, but what a harvest they can bring. If you'll cultivate those seeds, wow, look at the produce that's been produced. That's the way sin is the little seeds in our lives that we know are wrong and we feel guilty about, but you know, I don't really want to give this up. There's coming a day when we will reap what we sow. What are you sowing in your life? What kind of harvest are you going to reap in due time? Secret sins are always costly because ultimately sin never delivers what it promises. The devil is the father of lies, John 8, verse 44. He is the one who wants you to engage in sin. He is the one who wants you to keep on doing what you know is wrong because he glories in anything that offends God. He glories in anything that takes you farther away from God. And his lies will never fulfill their promises. Sin offers an awful lot of things that seem appealing, that seem good. You think about Eve in the Garden of Eden. She saw the fruit, it looked good, might even taste good. It's gonna make me wise like God. Did it deliver what it promised? There's pleasure in sin for a season, but it never ultimately satisfies. Only God can do what sin promises to do. Third, this evening, Secret sins are always costly. And we need to stop and think about this. Secret sins are only destroyed by repentance. There's only one way out. If I'm practicing something that I know is wrong, if I'm doing something that only God sees, and I know it's wrong, but I'm not really sure what to do at this point, I want to change. Repentance is the way out. I need to ask some questions. In the first place, I need to evaluate what kind of person am I? In John chapter 3 verse 20, Jesus said, He who loves the darkness hates for his deeds to be exposed. You think about that, what Jesus is saying there in John 3.20. He's saying when people love darkness, they hate for someone to show, to reveal what they're doing. 
There's a reason why thieves work at night. There's a reason why people break in at night under the cover of darkness. They hate for their deeds to be revealed. They hate for it to be obvious to others what they're doing. Am I that kind of person? Am I the kind of person that doesn't want my deeds to be exposed? Or, on the other hand, am I the kind of person that prays this prayer? Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and try me. Look at my heart, examine me, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way that's everlasting. Am I the kind of person that would rather my deeds be hidden because I know they're wicked, or am I the kind of person that's willing for God to search my heart and to see if there's any wicked way in me? What kind of person am I? What kind of person are you? Next, if I want out, I'm going to have to examine myself. I'm going to have to do a personal inventory. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, I'm going to have to look honestly and sincerely at my heart. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life, the Proverbs writer said. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. I need to examine myself. That's difficult. That's painful. It's like looking in the mirror first thing in the morning and saying, whoa, there's a lot that needs to change. There's a lot that needs to be altered. I'm going to have to get to work. That's what self-examination is like. Third, I'm going to have to be willing for my sin to be exposed. Look in your Bibles at Psalm chapter 90 and verse 8. And listen to what the psalmist says. Psalm 90 and verse 8. The psalmist writes, You have set our iniquities before you, speaking to God. Our secret sins have been set in the light of your countenance, O God we're going to have to be willing for our sin to be exposed. You remember Proverbs 28, verse 13? He who covers his transgressions will not prosper, but he who, can, he who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. You know, when there's a secret sin in our lives, one of the most important things we need to do is we need to bring that to light. I'm not talking about airing our dirty laundry before everybody and anybody. I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. We might have a spiritual friend that we really trust, and we might really have confidence in their ability to help us. And it might well be the case that we need to have a conversation. I'm really struggling with this particular sin in my life. And I want you to know because I want it to be exposed and I want to be able to talk about this with you and I want to be able to be held accountable and I want us to have checkups on on various occasions because this is something I'm really having a hard time with there's something biblical about that James says in James 5 verse 16 confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. It might well be time for some of us to enlist help.
so that the sin in our lives can be exposed, so that it can see the light of day. Because secret sin, it vanishes when it's exposed to the light. Next, we need to confess our sin to God. I want you to look with me at 1 John 1 verse 9. In 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, John is writing about Christianity and what it's like to live as a Christian. And he's saying, look, even though you're a Christian, you're still going to struggle with sin. And sometimes those are going to be secret sins. And sometimes they're going to be habitual secret sins. What do I do about that, John? How do I deal with that when I'm, when I'm a Christian and I'm trying to live the Christian life? He says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, there's the unrighteousness that people see. Some people, it's really easy to see what's going on, what's wrong, what needs to be changed, what needs to be repented of. Sometimes it's really easy and really obvious in our lives, but sometimes it's not. And the promise of 1 John 1 verse 9 is that when I confess those things, even the secret things that nobody else knows about, that God is faithful and just to forgive. What a beautiful promise. We need to trust our God more and trust his willingness and ability to forgive. I want out. What do I need to do? I need to repent. Repentance is changing your mind. That's what the word literally means. To change my mind. I thought this sin would bring me joy. I thought this sin would make me feel better. I thought this sin would bring me happiness. But I repent. I don't believe sin can do that. I don't believe this sin will ever bring me what it has promised me. And because I have changed my mind, I'm going to change my attitude and I'm going to change my life. I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm going to live for God because I believe with all my heart that His way is the right way. That His will is the best will. Sometimes, by the way, when we're talking about secret sin, you know what Jesus said? Turn your Bibles to Matthew 5. Look at verses 28 and 29. Matthew 5, verses 28 and 29. Jesus talked about people who were lusting in their hearts after people that they had no right to be with. And he says in Matthew 5, verse 28, excuse me, verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. What Jesus is advocating in verses 28 and 29 and 30 is radical spiritual surgery, cutting things out of my life that bring temptation. He's saying that it would be better to live without one eye than it would be to persist in secret sin. He's saying that it would be better for us to live without a hand, even though that debilitates us in other areas of our lives, than to live with secret sin. Repentance. Sometimes it demands some radical changes on our part. And then this, I want out. 
I want to destroy and put away secret sin. Be strong in the Lord. Don't just write this off as rhetoric or, you know, mere semantics or anything like that. I want you to listen to what I'm saying. God has promised to help people who struggle with sin. He has given His Word. He has given the promise of His strength. And too many times people try to repent of their sin and they do it all in their own strength and their own power without depending on Him, without asking for His help. He has riches and abundant resources. And I can't even tell you all the ways that He will bless you. But I know this, I know that He promises to do so. He says, if you'll come to me, and if you'll depend on me, and if you'll lean on me, and if you'll trust me, and if you'll pray to me, I will help you deal with the secret sin, all the sin that's in your life. I'll help you. God promises to do that for us. And too many times we think, well, it's just up to me. I tried and failed. Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 12 is in the Bible, brethren. Be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Our struggle, our warfare is spiritual in nature. And God has provided everything we need if we'll just come to Him and ask. Sometimes it's a brother or sister in Christ who comes and puts an arm around us and asks us how we're doing. And sometimes it's a lesson like this one that we need. And sometimes there are other ways in which God and His providence can help us. But don't try to do this all by yourself. You need God. You need His help if you're going to put away sin in your life. There's no other way but His way. Secret sin, it's devastating. It's a landmine. It's a time bomb. And one of the devil's favorite devices is to let you and me live with secret sin for such a long time that it becomes comfortable to us and ultimately that it detonates at a time when the devil can do the absolute most damage. How many preachers over the years have been caught in something they thought was secret and when it came to light, the church was devastated? How many husbands and wives over the years were doing something they thought was secret and when it came to light, their marriage was over, it was destroyed? How many elders, how many members of God's church over the years have practiced something and they thought nobody would ever find out and when it came to light, God's purposes were hindered. Don't play around with secret sin. It's not just about you. It's about the God that we serve who loves you so much that He wants you to be saved. It's about His people who love you so much they want you to be saved as well. What must I do to be saved? I need to hear. Hear the message that God has revealed in His Word. The Gospel, it's good news. It's good news because as ugly as sin is, there's still an answer. I need to believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son, to confess His name, to repent of my sin, and to be baptized. 
in the New Testament we find that baptism is how people who were lost became Christians. And it's exactly the same process today. People who are lost become Christians in the waters of baptism. Maybe you need to respond that way. Maybe you need to ask for prayers. There are a couple of email addresses on the screen. We'd be happy, Jordan and I, to visit with you, to talk with you further about these matters if you have questions or you need something. All of us, let's examine our lives and let's resolve to serve our God with our whole heart and to put away the secret sin from our lives. Let's sing a song together as we think about these things.